All right. Well, it's the last Sunday of 2024. And it's always good to remind ourselves what, sorry, 2023. I don't want to jump too far ahead, right? Um, time travel. Yeah, we don't know what the year 2024 holds in store for us, but we do know what God has done in 2023. So let me give you an opportunity to share with us this morning something that you are excited about or something that you learned in 2023. We've got some microphones here. I don't want you to take a lot of time. I just want you to share why your heart is blessed because of what God did for you, in you, through you, to you, whatever, in 2023. So um, if I can get somebody to come and run around with this mic, that would be great. Ezra. Um, so we're going to turn this mic on, and we're going to leave it with the red light lit. So what you have to do is just push the button at the bottom and then talk into it. It's, not, it's red, so talk into it so everybody can hear you. When you're done talking, push the button again, and it'll turn red. That way you don't hear all that noise going on. So who wants to be first? Ezra got to know where to go. Right there, Vani. All right. There you go. Okay. Uh... The scripture of the year for me, as I shared with you this morning, is Nehemiah 8.10. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And this has been a challenging year for both my husband and I. And I praise the Lord Jesus Christ for getting us through that. And in 2024, our scripture will be the joy of the Lord is my strength. Amen. No matter what's going on in life, we can have the joy of the Lord. Who's next? Colleen. I just want to say I praise the Lord because our prayers were answered. Our daughter moved back into the area and she is doing very well. I have never seen her happier. And I mean never. All right, praise the Lord for Lisa's return and uh, the way God is continuing to work in her life. Right next to you, Ezra. Push it, push it one more time. Push it one more time. Push the bottom one more time. All right, Jim is on the men. Praise the Lord for that. Steve Rofe, make sure that light turns green. Not working? Push it and hold it. There you go. Now is it green? It's yellow. It's searching. It's, it's on. Go ahead and use it. I can hear it in, the, in your hand. One of the highlights of my life was, um, if you know the way down to Otisco Lake, uh, I, I attended Otisco Valley Baptist Church, and not too far from it is a pond, a farmer's pond. And I was baptized in that pond. That was one of my highlights of my life, and then communion shortly afterwards. And I was able to be refreshed with that memory when we had several baptisms this year. And then I encourage any who hasn't uh, participated in that that they might consider it. Thanks, Steve. We do have a, a baptism coming up. We haven't set the date yet, but we have two individuals who want to be baptized. Um, so if we want to add to that number, that'd be great. Uh, just speak to me. We'll get you the material you need. We'll work through it, and we'll get you part of this baptism coming up, all right? There you go. You're good, Tom. I might resort to my own voice rather than give it. <coughs> South Africa is expressing uh, a great resistance 
darkness unfolded in the nation of Israel, the nation of Palestine, I have experienced renewed hope uh, from the teachings of wonderful Jewish teachers such as Gabor Mate, Ilan uh, Pape, Norman Finkelstein, who are speaking out against the genocide of the people in Gaza. Uh, I urge all, if you have access to YouTube, to listen to the sermon by the Christian pastor of Bethlehem, Pastor Munther Isaac. He gave a beautiful Christmas sermon uh, entitled Christ in the Rome. I think it is a wonderful sermon. It spoke to my heart. I hope it can speak to yours as well. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Someone else? Cindy, your grandma. Thank you. Is it on? It didn't sound like it was on. Okay. Um, I, I would like to thank the Lord for restoring broken relationships in my family. Um, there was a great deal of prayer from this church for the problems within it, and they have resolved for the most part, and I just want to thank my church family for praying and um, for God to, I want to thank God for just um, showing truth and, and for being truth, and God can fix anything. So if you are going through things in your family, take it to him and have people pray. Because the Lord is faithful. It's not always as soon as we'd like, but it's always worth the wait. So I just want to thank God for that. Amen. That's good. Take it to the next person. Who's next? Back in the corner, Jody. Jody, over here. Amen. Thank you, Jody. Right behind you, back row to the Monroes. I just want to thank you for God to give us a thanks, good Christmas, flammery Christmas. All right. We enjoy celebrating the birth of our Savior, don't we? Someone else. Scott? This year I had the pleasure of banding together with uh, about 10 other men and we hosted what's called the Band of Brothers Boot Camp back in September. I had the opportunity through that to be a responder, which means during one of the sessions I had to speak on it, and uh, I responded to rescuing the heart of your beauty and what that means for, for me and my story, <coughs> and this really helped Kelly and I get to the roots of some of our um, deeper problems that we've, that we've had over the years. Um, 
you know, we've been married for 16 years now, and the beginning of those those years were not the greatest, but I know now that the healing has come, and it continues, and the best is yet to come. So I just praise God for, for that. Of course, there's the street ministry that um, I've started to do, and, uh, you know, praise the Lord. I was, this morning, I came in late because I did a jail visitation with somebody who committed vehicular manslaughter. I found out that it was, in fact, his girlfriend uh, that had been uh, killed in the accident. Uh, but he received Christ this morning. So praise praise God for that, even though he doesn't know what the rest of um, his year is going to look like uh, as he goes into trial in a couple of weeks. Um, I told him that I'm willing to walk with him the same way that I did with Victor, which means, for those that don't know who Victor is, uh, I allowed Victor to give me a call every single day for five years from prison, and I'm glad to report that Victor is now six and a half years clean, has his own painting business, and is well-established in a different area, and he's doing wonderful. Amen. Thanks, Scott. Any others? Christine, back row, middle, Ezra. Is it on? Um, I have a lot to be thankful for. But, you know, I, when Steve said that, you know, the best event of his life was being baptized in that pond, definitely the, the highlight of my life was being saved and when God healed my spiritual blindness. And um, my husband is, is um, right there with me, and that's, that's an amazing thing. Uh, recently, um, I heard about how our hearts were made for, to long for infinite love. And I can't think of anybody, maybe they're out there, but I really can't think of anybody that wants, you know, just a little love or love that ends. We all, when someone says they love us, we want it to be forever and, and unconditional. And, of course, we know that the Lord is, is really the only one that's truly capable of that. So um, that's just a wonderful thing to know. It's, it's just amazing that every day I keep growing in, 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 in my Christianity, which was what I asked the pastor to help me do. And um, um, so I'm thankful for, for being saved, and I'm thankful for all of you. Um, so thank you, everyone. Amen. Thanks, Christine. <coughs> Any others? I just have to say that to Samuel and Leah, I'm, I'm very proud of you. I have spent some time this year praying for sons and daughters of other church members here, and you guys are such a blessing to know that you guys are desiring to walk in the ways of Christ, and that is such a blessing to me, and I look forward to guiding and directing you in those ways. And so I just want to read a scripture, especially to, to all the, the young people here and, and to us. We're all, we're all God's children. Amen. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not unto your own understanding. And in all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right, I don't see any other hands, so Ezra, you can bring that up to me. And we're just going to have a word of prayer, thanking God for His faithfulness, and then um, asking Him to bless our time in the Word this morning as well. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and the stories that have unfolded before us today are stories of encouragement, stories of uh, your faithfulness, giving you praise and glory and honor for what you are doing. Uh, Lord, we rejoice with each one who has shared um, a memory of how you've worked in their heart and in their life in 2023. 
we're thankful that there are so many stories. There, there are stories that were not shared this morning of your faithfulness during the year, and we're grateful for those as well. We rejoice with Scott and the fact that he was able to lead this man to Christ this morning. Uh, we pray that that's a genuine conversion and that he will grow and that you'll give Scott wisdom as he helps him learn his way uh, in the things of God. Uh, Lord, just uh, help us all to be desirous of communicating the good news of, other, to, of Christ to others and seeing them come to know Jesus as their Savior. Use us in 2024 for your honor and for your glory. Father, as we open the word together this morning now, we ask your blessing upon that. Um, more for us to learn from your word. We can, we, we can always learn from what you have in the pages of Scripture. Father, we ask that you would help us to learn this morning about walking uh, in you, walking for you in 2024, for your honor and for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, you can look up there on the title of the screen, and you, uh, on the screen you'll see the title of our message. It's The New Walk in a New Year. We're going to pick up our study in Ephesians this morning. Um, it's Christmas, or it's New Year's Eve, right? It's the day that we say goodbye to the old year, and we say hello to the new year. It's a great time for us to now pick this study up in the book of Ephesians into chapter 5, and we're going to see from our text this morning that... Uh, we, we start this new year with God's blessing, with God's direction, and with God's equipping. Um, <clears throat> before Christmas, we started this study in Ephesians, and we saw all of the blessings, all of the wealth that God had poured out upon us and has given to us as his children. <clears throat> A couple of weeks before Christmas, we started chapter 4, and in chapter 4, Paul changed gears a little bit. He went from uh, talking about how wealthy we are as believers in Christ, how spiritually rich we are, to now, because of all of the spiritual blessings God has poured out on us, that we need to start using that blessing and using that new life and start walking for him. The last time we were in Ephesians, we looked at the walk of the old man and we compared it to the walk of the new man, the walk of who we are now in Christ because we know Christ. Christ as our personal Savior. By way of reminder, let me just help you with the context of this section again. You might remember that chapter 4 provides us with a transition. We're going to move from the, the first three chapters, as I said, about the wealth, and we're going to move into how you and I, as the children of God, need to live our lives on a daily, daily basis where God has placed us. We began chapter 4 by talking about the about talking worthy of the calling that God has called us to. Paul developed chapter 4, and we see there it became quite clear that the kind of walk we have been called to is an absolutely impossible walk to accomplish in our own strength. We can't walk for the Lord, we can't honor the Lord, we can't love the Lord in our own strength. We have to give up ourselves to the work of the Lord, and we need to let the Holy Spirit lead us. We've been given everything we need to walk for the Lord. We've been equipped with all we need to honor God in our walk, um, and that's how we do it. We don't rely on self. We simply rely on God and His Spirit alive and working in us. And at the second half of chapter 4, Paul challenges us again with not just knowing about the walk, but actually living the walk, walking the walk. The challenge is based on the fact that we have a new nature. The old nature has been defeated, and we don't have to be bound to that old nature. We have this new nature in Christ. Now, we also know that this old man and this new man, they constantly battle with each other, don't they? They're constantly taking each other on. And, and we were reminded that the, the man that we feed the most is the man that's going to be the strongest and the man that's going to win. So if we're still feeding that old nature, that old man, with the things of the world, then we're going to struggle in our walk with the Lord. But if we're feeding that new man, then we're going to grow. We're going to be stronger in our walk with the Lord. And how do we feed that new man? Well, we feed that new man with the pages of Scripture. We're starting a new year, 2024. It's a great time to establish new habits, new routines, new practices. Um, commit yourself to spending more time in the Word of God. It's easy to let that slip and slide when you get so busy in life and things seem to be, oh, pressing in on us. Oh, I, can't, I, don't, I, gotta, I, gotta, I gotta have some more time in my day. 
So you push that side, that time aside with the Lord. And, and you wonder sometimes, why am I not walking as I should? Why am I struggling in this walk? Well, God wants us to be in his word. Paul outlined for us in chapter 4 the difference between the old man and the new man. He reminded us that those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that we are new. We are different. We are not the same individual. But he talked about that struggle. And the struggle is real. The struggle is difficult. The old man continues to rear his ugly head. So we must be in the habit of renewing our minds. Somebody tell me, how do we renew our minds? God's word through scripture. Is there a specific scripture that comes to mind about talking about the renewing of your mind? Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul says what? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable form of worship. Don't be transformed. Or don't be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That transformation only takes place by the word of God and allowing the Holy Spirit to make that word of God come alive in your heart and in your, in your mind. We need to feed on the word of God. And as we feed on the word of God, we'll be strengthened in the new man. And be careful not to feed that old man. He's, if we're feeding the new man, that old man is kind of getting strangled out. And he's going to continue to claw and he's going to continue to try and get you to feed him. But when the things of the world press in on us and, and come into our minds, we replace it with what God says in the pages of Scripture. The verses in chapter 4 that wrap up the chapter give us a before and after look at our Christian life. Before we were saved, we lived like the world because we were of the world. We had no option. That's what the world does. The world can't live a life that honors God. He tells us that you formerly lived like this, and he lists off several things. You remember what they were? Lying, stealing, anger, corrupt communication. They were all part of the before image. Our life was characterized by things like bitterness and wrath and anger and and clamor and evil speaking and malice. And then what happened? There There came a but into our lives. But God. But Jesus. When Jesus saved us, we now have a picture of the after image. We are speaking the truth in love. You see, we've replaced lying with Speaking the truth. We, we replaced stealing with hard work that honors our great God and our Savior. We see here that a Christ-like manner of living becomes our goal in life. Instead of being bitter and full of wrath, we are tender-hearted. We are forgiving one another just as God in Christ's sake has forgiven us. See, the picture is so much better after Christ than it was before Christ. And this is where we pick up our study in chapter 5, where Paul carries on the admonition. He says, be followers of God as dear children. Now, the context of chapter 4 helps us understand a bit better the challenge to be followers of who our God is and what he wants us to be. You see, when you're a follower, it can be said that you're walking in the leader's footsteps. There's an old hymn that we, we've sung from time to time, used to be sung a lot. Uh, is, the hymn is Stepping in the Light. Okay? It goes like this. Trying to walk in the steps of the Savior, trying to follow our Savior and King, shaping our lives by His blessed exa- example, happy how happy the songs that we bring. Walking in footsteps of gentle forbearance, footsteps of faithfulness, mercy, and love, looking to him for the grace freely promised, happy, how happy, our journey above. We can only have that journey with the Savior if we know him as our Savior. In chapter 5, Paul outlines three steps, if you will, that are involved in being a follower of God. Here's the steps. We see that we walk in love in verse 2. We see that we walk in light in verse 8, 
and that we see that we walk learning from our great God, or we walk in wisdom in verse 15. This morning, we're only going to look at one of those steps, the first step. We're going to, walk, we're going to see what it means to walk in love. We'll save the other two for the weeks to come. But before we dive into our message this morning, let's start with reading God's word together. So would you stand? We're going to read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. It's on the screen, so if you would read from the screen with me, please. Uh, we'll be reading together. We'll read in unison. Roman, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks." For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. All right, let's ask God one more time to bless our time in his word, and then after that, you may be seated. Our gracious Heavenly Father, again, we come before you, and we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for the opportunity we have to open the pages of Scripture and to study them together, to examine them, to to find the meaning of what Scripture is, and we're thankful for the Holy Spirit who helps us understand your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So here in Ephesians chapter 5, we see how to walk in love, all right? Uh, We have a representative, if you will, of how to walk in love, and that's in verse 2. Jesus is the representation for walking in love. If If we've got the question, we're struggling with, how is it that I can walk in love? How do I do it right? I don't want to do it wrong. I want to do it right. Where do I find the answer to that? Well, Paul says we have a representative. We have an example. We have Jesus Christ as the one who came. We just got done celebrating Christmas, right? The, the baby who came in a manger was wrapped in swaddling clothes. The angels sang his, pres- his praises. The shepherds came to worship him. The wise men took a longer time to get there because they came from so far away. But they came to worship him as well. All of these individuals who, who, who knew there was something different The angels told the shepherd, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. One who's come to save you and in fact you know who he is? He's the Messiah that you've been looking for. That's what it means when he says he's the Christ. He's the Messiah. The one you've been longing for. You know the one all the way promised back, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 who is going to crush the head of Satan. He's come and he's in a manger. Wrapped in swaddling clothes. I'm thinking the shepherds were like, wait, I thought he was supposed to come on a white horse. I thought he was supposed to come as the, as the conquering king. You see, they were not being taught truth from the pages of Scripture. Their religious leaders of the day were not teaching them the truth that first must come the suffering servant. Because they didn't want a suffering servant. They wanted a conquering king. God's got a plan, and God's plan is always the best plan. So he sent his son as a baby, born of a virgin, fulfilling the promises that were given to them in Isaiah, right? He sent him as a baby, born of a virgin, who was wrapped in swaddling clothes in the town of Bethlehem. Why in the world Bethlehem? Um, I don't know if I should say that. Bethlehem is akin to Preble. Uh, Right? I mean, there's, there's no big shopping centers here. There, there's no royalty that lives here. There's nothing, you know, other than the beauty that's all around us that anybody would say, man, Preble's the place I gotta be. Preble's the place I wanna give birth to my child. There's nothing in Preble. There was nothing in Bethlehem except 
servants who would worship the king the way he deserves to be worshipped. May we be known as people who want to serve the king, serve the Lord, honor the Lord right here in Preble because that's who God's looking for. This representation for walking in love is Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, the one who is going to and who did crush the head of Satan. But this Jesus is the one who shows us how to walk in love. First of all, we see that Christ practiced perfect love. How do we know that? Well, the text says, verse 2, walk in love as Christ walked in love. Jesus isn't asking us to do something he hasn't already done. That he hasn't shown us how to do. Walk in love, Paul says, as Christ loved us. Boy, that's, you want an example? You want a perfect example? You have it in Jesus Christ because he's the son of God. This love, of course, that Paul is talking about here in Ephesians is the kind of love that's impossible to practice outside of Christ. You can't do it if you don't know Jesus as your Savior. It's the kind of love that gives without expecting anything in return. It's that kind of love that we call agape love. It's that love that is sacrificial. It's that love that, you know, when you give it away, you're happy to give it away and you're not expecting anything to come back your way because you gave it away. MacArthur says this about this agape love. He says, God's love and all, that, all love that is like his loves for the sake of giving, not getting. With conditional love, if the conditions are not met, there is no obligation to love. If we do not get, we do not give. But God makes no conditions for his love to us and commands that we love others without conditions. There is no way to earn God's love or to deserve it by reason of human goodness. God loved us while we were still sinners and enemies, and he continues to love us as believers, even though we continue to sin and fall short of his perfection and his glory. He loved us when we forgot him, when we disobey him, when we deny him, when we fail to return his love, and when we grieve his Holy Spirit. When Jude said, keep yourselves in the love of God in Jude 21, He was indicating the responsibility to stay in the place where that divine love sheds its blessing. You and I need to be in the place where God will give his blessing. And that's in fellowship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. This love's not easy. But it is the love that is worthy of the calling to which you and I have been called. It's that love that Jesus exemplified and therefore it's the love that those who are rightly related to him should strive to manifest in themselves to others. You might look back over your life and say, boy, I'm not so sure I did a great job of that in 2023. Well, we're turning a page. We're starting 2024. And we don't have to, it doesn't have to be at the beginning of a new year to start living for the Lord. Start loving the Lord, start loving others. That can be any day of your life. Those of us who know Jesus Christ, every day we wake up. What does Jeremiah tell us? Great is thy faithfulness, your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So Christ provided that perfect example. He practiced perfect love. We also see that Christ presented himself for us. The very next part of verse 2 says that he gave himself up for us. This is the way he demonstrated that love. He gave himself for us. The word gave here, it means to surrender. It means to yield up, if you will. So you might want to ask yourselves, and if you don't, I'm going to ask it for you. um, What is the nature of what he gave up? What Just what did Jesus give up? Well, you tell me, what did Jesus give up? Everything. That's, 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 the, that's the answer. But what, is, what are some of the everythings that he gave up? One more time. His authority as God. Well, he was sinless. He took the sin on sinless. He gave up the sinless. 
Okay, when he bore our sins in his, cro- in his body on the cross? Comfort. Comfort. Okay. He gave up his life. Anything else that comes to mind? His home, Steve? Yeah, Philippians 2, right? Let's his mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but gave that up so that he could take upon himself flesh. Okay, yeah. He never knew suffering before other than suffering that <laughs> the, the anguish that he endured when people disobeyed him and didn't follow him. But yeah, physical suffering, he never had that before. Yeah, he laid that aside, right? Yeah. The one that I think I struggle the most, most with and don't know that I'll ever understand it is that he gave up his side-by-side Oneness with the Father. He surrendered his will. Yeah. Yeah. He gave up, as was said, everything. He gave his life, but he gave it for a reason. We see the extent that he gave was explained by the Apostle Paul over in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. Paul wrote these words. He says, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the phrase, who gave himself. He doesn't stop there. He tells us why he gave himself. He gave himself for our sins. He doesn't stop there either. He gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me the opportunity to be delivered from this present evil age. But he goes on. He delivered from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He deserves all of the worship that we can give to him. And that's what worship is. Declaring the worth of our great God. We understand it now that we know him as our Savior. He presented himself. How did he present himself? Well, Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 5, he presented himself, first of all, as an offering. An offering is something that is willingly brought or delivered. Okay? An offering. He also presented himself as a sacrifice. And that sacrifice means that the life of the victim or the life of the object that was offered as a sacrifice was taken. Once that thing is offered as a sacrifice, you ain't getting it back. It's going to be totally consumed on the altar. Wow. Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice. We need to think about these two words for a minute. In these two words, offering and sacrifice, the five offerings the Israelites were commanded to bring to God are covered. You know those Old Testament offerings? People say, why don't we offer, why don't we have sacrifices anymore? We don't need to because Jesus fulfilled them all. In Leviticus chapter 1, Moses talks about the burnt offering. It says there, the priest shall burn all of it on the altar. This is an offering of total devotion to the Lord. Jesus demonstrated his complete devotion to God because he gave his life to obey and please his Father. So Jesus was the burnt offering, if you will, for us. In Leviticus chapter 2, the second offering that is talked about and required of by the Israelites was the meal offering or the grain offering. It was an offering of perfection to the Lord. In verse 3 of Leviticus chapter 2 says, It is a most holy offering of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. You see, Christ was the perfect offering. There were no imperfections in Jesus Christ. He indeed was and is holy. He was the perfect offering, the perfect sacrifice made in our place. We couldn't offer ourselves because we were imperfect. But Christ offered himself in my place as the perfect offering. 
Leviticus chapter 3 talks about the peace offering. Christ's sacrifice of himself on Calvary finally brought the opportunity for peace to be restored between man and God. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, you know what was lost there? Peace with God. Because what was the first thing they did when they realized, oh, we sinned? They hid. Why did they hide? They were ashamed. But what is the, what is the, the, the introduction of that verse before Adam hid himself? God came down to walk with them. They heard his voice and what? And they hid themselves. Yeah. Because they were not at peace with God anymore because of sin. Jesus is the peace offering that restores the relationship with man and God. Without the perfect spotless lamb being sacrificed, man would not be able to have peace with a holy God. Man had been separated from a holy God, indicated by the veil in the temple. When Jesus hung on the cross and satisfied God's wrath, what happened to that veil? It was tore from top to bottom. It was, there was no longer a dividing wall that kept man from God. Man and God were brought back together through the peace of Jesus Christ by his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. Leviticus chapter 4 and 5 talk about the sin offering and the trespass offering. These offerings were made because of the behavior of God's people was unacceptable to him. It broke their fellowship with him. It was this type of offering that was fulfilled in Christ as he hung on the cross and he bore our sins. He took your sins and my sins and the sins of mankind upon himself. And what happened when he did that? middle of the day what happened it got dark it got dark as night and why did that happen God turned his back on his son God could not look on his son because his sin was bearing the sins of mankind it was that trespass offering that caused Jesus to cry out and say my God my God why have you forsaken me the father could not look on his son, not because he didn't love him anymore, not because he was mad at him, but he could not look on his son because he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. You see, we don't offer sacrifices anymore because Jesus fulfilled all of those sacrifices. We can't make any better sacrifice than the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. He presented himself as an offering and as a sacrifice so that you and I could be reconciled to a holy God. We see in these sacrifices that Christ pleased the Father. You love how it says there, he, to, he, was offering, he offered himself to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. It smelled good to God. You see, when, when the Israelites would make sacrifices in the Old Testament, they would bring their sacrifices in and they would present them to God and the, and the smell of this offering would rise up over and, and, and then you know what happens? The smoke, once it rises, it comes back down and it would fall into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. And it was a sweet-smelling aroma. This phrase, sweet-smelling fragrance, is used at least 40 times in the Pentateuch. In the first five books of the Bible. It's used 40 times in relation to sacrifices. When a sacrifice was done in the way God prescribed it to be done and with the right heart attitude that God wanted it to, present it, to be presented in, the Bible says it was given to him and it was pleasing to him. It was a sweet-smelling savor in his nostrils. He accepted it. It was what he wanted. Harold Horner says this, This offering was a fragrance pleasing to God and thus acceptable to God. The idea of a fragrant offering is also spoken of in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, and Philippians chapter 4, verses 18. You see, Christians can imitate God by loving others 
even to the point of death if necessary. And that's a sacrifice that is a sweet-smelling sacrifice to our great God. So the death of Christ, his offering of himself as a sacrifice and offering, please the Father. When we give ourselves, when we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, as we've already mentioned, it's a pleasing aroma to our God in heaven. Well, we need to keep moving. We see in verses 3 and 4 the responsibility of walking in love. Paul becomes very practical in the next couple of verses here. He tells us how to walk in love by telling us that we are responsible to not allow certain things to be part of our life, but instead we should practice something else. The thing he doesn't want us practicing, the thing he says we shouldn't be doing, is what, we, what I've called in your notes, ungodly conduct. In other words, bad behavior. Okay? And we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about all of these bad behaviors, but let me just give them to you and explain them quickly. The first one he mentions is sexual immorality of any kind. Improper sexual behavior has been associated with idolatry and the child of God should not want anything to do with it. God has a pattern for how sex, what sex should look like. It's between a husband and a wife. It's between a man and a woman who have committed themselves to one another before God for their lives. That's what it looks like. Anything outside of that is improper. It's immoral. He mentions next all uncleanness. This is not only in action but in thought as well. If, if one is walking in love then the power of Christ in their life is sufficient to help them overcome the, the, the bad thoughts, the negative thoughts, the evil thoughts, and the actions that associate with those things. Get rid of all uncleanness. He next uses the word covetousness. Simply put, this word is greed or selfishness. One who is walking in love is not consumed with the thought of getting more and more. Wow, that's hard in the world in which we live today, isn't it? Because everybody wants more. Uh, just a little bit more. If I can have just a little bit more, it would make me happy. Not gonna, that's a lie. It doesn't work that way. Paul wants us to understand that we, when we walk in love, we're, we're, we're satisfied, we're content. Paul says, I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. See, Paul focuses on how we can best serve others in the family of God as well as bring others into the family of God. Our contentment is found in our service to God. Our contentment is found as we bring others into a right relationship with God or at least be the tool that God uses to communicate that information to others so they can know what they need to do to trust Christ as their Savior. He also talks about ungodly conversation. So first he talks about bad behavior. Now he talks about bad talking. He uses the word filthiness. This is a word that's been translated as obscenities or shameless talk. It amazes me how much of people's conversation is wrapped up in this kind of talk. I mean... It wasn't that long ago that the, the obscene talk, the, the curse words, the, the downright you know, swearing, the F word, and all the... Uh, and he, Pastor, why do you use the F word? It's because I, I don't say that word, okay? Even if I'm using that as an illustration, I don't say that word. There's other things that I don't use. The, the bodily uh, excrements that people use as curse words. I don't use them. The, 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 the word for a female dog or the son of one of those. I don't use that. Why? Because that's the way the world talks. We tell our grandchildren that's a potty mouth. It amazes me how much that is used in everyday conversation today. Didn't used to be that way. And it wasn't that long ago that it didn't used to be that way. But now it's just acceptable. It's funny, at the bus garage, I walk into the room and, oh, sorry, didn't mean to say that. 
Sorry, I mean, in, in mid-sentence, they cut it off. And they, and they say, um, instead of using that word, they use another word in its place. I appreciate that. But you know what? My presence doesn't change their heart. And the only way that they're going to stop using that in, a, in, in their normal course of speech is if they know Jesus as their Savior. And so when people say, ask Tim because he knows about that stuff, the Bible and church, I, t- I seize those opportunities. I had an opportunity just before uh, school let out. A, a child, a kid on the bus was, at, was talking about it. He actually is, the bus driver, we're talking about good behavior, acting properly. And, and the bus driver said something and, and he said, oh, I, know how to, I know how to act right. And, and so the conversation actually revolved then back to the, how do we know what is right? And I said, well, the Bible tells us what is right. And the bus driver said, hey, he probably doesn't even have a Bible. You know what he said? Yeah, I have a Bible. I got a big white Bible when I went to that carnival at the church. Hallelujah! I said, you got one of our Bibles? He said, yeah, I did. I said, do you read it? He said, not very often. I said, you need to. But God gave the opportunity to talk about spiritual things. And you know what? I'm going to jump through those doors. And, and as long as they bring it up, I can talk about it all they want. That's what we need to do. We need to talk about what changes the heart, not just what makes a feeble attempt at changing the conduct of others. Because the only thing that changes the conduct really is a, is a new heart. That's been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So this ungodly conversation can't just be, I just can't, it can't be just a reformation of the, of the old because the old has control. In fact, you don't even have the new if you're just trying to reform the old. Amen. It gets rid of the filthiness. It gets rid of the, the foolish talk. Talks about that in the text. You know what foolish talk is? Foolish talk is stupid words. I know you're not supposed to use that word, but you can't use any other word. That's what foolish talk is. It's stupid talks. It's, it's the kind of talk that you would expect from somebody that is drunk. Do you ever try to carry on a conversation with somebody who is drunk? Do they make sense? No, they say stupid things. Because something else is controlling their minds. talks about coarse jesting in the text. That's vulgar, frivolous wit. Garbage can kind of mouth. I told you how conversations and words that are used change when I walk into the room. And how many times people apologize to me for talking like that. I'm offended by it. But more importantly, God is offended by it. And if you want to take care of that, you need to know Jesus as your Savior. When I, worked at, when I played baseball for the Bayside Braves, practice one night over in South Africa, practicing one night, and this older man who knew exactly who I was, uh, we started off playing catch, warming up our arms, and then a young guy came along the, and started joining so we had three-way catch and the older guy was standing next to me and the younger guy was standing down further away we're throwing the ball back forth and he starts talking and and swearing and cursing and and the older guy looked at him he says hey do you eat with that mouth what do you mean well the filth that's coming out of that mouth i wouldn't want to put my food in that mouth he said do you kiss your mom with that mouth because I don't think she'd want to hear have that, those lips kissing her either. Filthy mouth. Stop the mouth. Stop the talk like that. We don't need that here. Don't you know he's a pastor? Oh. Okay. If it gets him to stop talking, I'm going to stop with the filthy talk. I'm okay with that. But you know what? Again, it's got to be a changed heart that really changes that. You see, the one who is walking in love doesn't let that kind of conversation take place in their life, at least from their mouth. It's been changed. It's been cleansed. So what do we, what do we need to do with this ungodly to- conduct, this bad behavior, and this bad talking? We need to change. 
You see what Paul does here? He gives us the substitutionary principle. And that's so very common in Paul's teaching. Don't live like this with the bad behavior. Rather live like this with the good behavior. you got to take the bad out and get rid of it. But you can't just leave that hole there. You just can't leave that void because something's going to fill that void. And if you don't intentionally fill it with something, something negative or bad's probably going to fill that hole. So you take out the bad and you intentionally replace it with God-honoring conduct. So what's the conduct that we replace it with? Well, you stop this filthy talk and you replace it with, Paul says, giving thanks to God in all things. So you have a grateful heart for what God has done. You give thanks to the Holy One because He's given us Jesus Christ, His Son. Oh, man, what an, what an exchange. And it should be that before long, that stuff isn't even coming out of your mouth. You're not even thinking about that stuff anymore because you're putting the things of Scripture in place of it. Let's keep moving because we're running out of time. We have the reason for walking in love now. All right, We've got the representative and we've got the fact that um, Jesus has, the, has given us a responsibility. But now there's the reason that we have for walking in love. We have some facts that are known to us. Um, those who are of the world, are idolaters. This is the first fact that Paul shares with us here. You know what? Those who walk in the ways of the world, those who don't know Jesus as their Savior, they're idolaters. Now, nobody would admit to that. Nobody would come right up to you, most likely, and say, ah, I'm, I'm an idol worshiper. No, because most people in America still say that they, they're Christians. I worship God. Yeah, when? Mm, I don't know the last time, but I do. Okay. But those who are of the world are idolaters. They don't love and serve the one true God. Instead, they serve some other God. Either they're serving self or they're actually serving a pagan deity that they don't want to admit or don't even know that they're doing it because they're so blinded by the things of Satan. Those who are of the world are idolaters. Here's the other fact that Paul shares with us. Those who are of this world are not inheritors of the kingdom of God. It boils down to you're one or the other. You're an idolater or you're an inheritor. What do I inherit? I inherit the kingdom of Christ and God. Only those whose lives show that they've trusted Christ as their Savior, only those who live as redeemed, or to use the word Scott used, regenerated, only those who are born again will spend eternity with God because of the work that Christ did for us on Calvary. Those are the facts. Either you're an idolater or you're an inheritor. Paul says, don't be fooled by this. He gives us something that we don't need to be fooled by. Because Satan's a master at deception and he wants us to be fooled. So letter B in your notes, there's something to not be fooled by. <clears throat> you know, some people use a lot of empty words or, or, or a lot of words to try and get you to believe that you can live however you want to live and still spend eternity with a just and holy God. You just talk and talk and talk and talk. One of the things I learned uh, freshman year in Bible college, <clears throat> I learned it from Doc Carter. Um, maybe I haven't learned it fully. Um, with Doc Carter, he expected brevity. Brevity. Okay, you know how Doc Carter took, took, took attendance? You had to write a summary of the lecture in 25 words or less. Now, you, you were in his class for about an hour. And you had to summarize the lecture in 25 words or less. Doc Carter was a genius, okay? <clears throat> when, when you, he, he allowed us to substitute a bad test grade if we went on a field trip and wrote a paper about it, okay? You got to, and by the way, most of your test grades with Doc Carter were bad, okay? Um, and, and, and you could take a bad test grade and just wipe it out by going on a, extra field trip and writing a paper about it. The catch about the papers, 
one page. You go to this place, it's amazing, you, like Washington, D.C., uh, he, and he tells you, he reminds you of all the godly heritage of our nation. And then you're walking through the Capitol building, and people who are in the Capitol building greet him by name. Hey, remember how you doing today? You, yeah, they know him. You go out to this nice meal, nice restaurant for a meal. So all of these things you, you've done in the class, in the, in, on the field trip, and then he says, Write me a paper, one page or less. One page. And it was double-spaced, margins. If you wrote a page and a half, or if you went over to the second page at all, you know what he did? Crumpled it up and threw it away. Didn't get, tra- didn't get credit for the field trip. Oh, you enjoyed it, you learned a lot. You see, there was no snowing Dr. Carter. <laughs> it was impossible. But the world does that a lot. Talk and talk and talk. And they think that by, the, by a lot of words, they can confuse the situation. Or they can make you think that this is the way it really is. Paul says, don't be fooled by the empty talk. By the vain words. You want to spend eternity in heaven, then you must do what God requires. You must trust the work of His Son for everlasting life. Those that allow themselves to be deceived, those that refuse to believe the truth of God's message, the gospel, will be the ones that God pours his wrath out on. Why? Because they disobeyed his clearly revealed word. There's only one way to be right with God, and that's through his son, Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me, said Jesus. And then Paul ends his, this part of the text with, don't be factored into their conduct. Don't allow their conduct to, be, to become your conduct. As the recipients of God's love, we should have nothing in common. In fact, we cannot have anything in common with those who will be the recipients of God's wrath. Paul gives similar instruction over in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He wrote to the Corinthians there, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. He said this, Therefore, you know it, it's a quote from Leviticus. Therefore, come out from among you, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch the unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. As the children of God, we need to come out from among the world and be separate from the worldly ways. Now that doesn't mean you quit your job and go live on a mountaintop somewhere. We're still in the world, but we don't have to be of the world. We don't have to act and, and, and be the way the world is. So this morning we've been looking at Ephesians chapter 5. We're back into this study in the book of Ephesians and we see Paul continues to emphasize the importance of walking worthy of this great calling to which we have been called. God has lavished so much on us because of Christ. It, it challenges us, it behooves us, if you will, to walk in a particular way. In chapter 4, Paul reminded us what kind of walk the unbeliever has. That kind of walk that we used to walk before we knew Jesus as our Savior. And now in chapter 5, he tells us that we need to have a walk characterized by Christ-likeness. This morning we've concentrated on walking in love. You and I have experienced the greatest love ever given to mankind. And that's the love of God through Christ. We've been born again, so we should walk in love. And Paul reminds us that the recipients of God's love should want nothing to do with the ways of the world. But rather we should be following Christ's example of giving and sacrificing. When we imitate Jesus, there's no room for living like the world. Our next time together in the book of Ephesians, we're going to see more practical advice on how this worthy walk allows us to be recognizable as children of God. We must walk in the light, Paul will tell us, as chapter 5 carries on. And we must walk in wisdom. See, A walk in love, light, and wisdom is worthy of the calling.
to which God has called us. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank you again for the words of the Apostle Paul, which are, in all reality, your words for us. Father, we know that we can't live the way you want us to live in our own strength. We fall short every time. But when we are walking in love, in light, and in wisdom, Father, we are walking the way you have called us to walk. When we're using the pages of Scripture to govern our steps, as it were, we know that we please you. When we allow your Holy Spirit to take the words of the pages of Scripture and make them alive in our lives, we know that we are walking in a way that would point others to the Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we are so thankful for your love. May you help us to demonstrate it to others as 2023 comes to an end and 2024 begins. May we make it a goal in our lives this year to walk worthy of the calling to which you have called us. Help us to learn how to do that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.